0: Welcome to the American Cinema Foundation Movie Podcast. I am your host, Titus, and today I am joined by my good friends Flag Taylor and Carl, Eric Scott, for a discussion of Jeff Nichols' Mud. We have previously discussed Gran Torino, and we have discussed with Stillman comedies, Damsels in Distress, and Last Days of Disco, but now we're turning to a very dramatic movie. Jeff Nichols is a young director from Arkansas, he's barely about 40, and he already has four or five movies movies that are quite sensational, often filmed on location, almost always dealing with southern themes. And he makes a great contribution in a Hollywood that's increasingly about abstract urban spaces to a cinema that deals with real American communities and opportunities and dangers they're facing. So we're going to give you a little flavor of the Mississippi Delta in Arkansas. Please flag Carl, introduce yourselves and let's get to it.
1: Hi, this is Flag Taylor, and I teach political philosophy and other things in upstate New York at Skidmore College and do a lot of research and writing on communism and totalitarianism. And Carl and I co-edited a book a few years ago on the wonderful German film, The Lives of Others. So sometimes I use that film in my courses as well as a few other films. So I'm happy to join Titus again and be back on the podcast.
2: Yes, hello Titus, this is Carl Scott. I'm coming to you from out of Utah, I um, work at Utah Valley University, kind of in Provo Orem area. And yeah, I have similar interests with Flag in terms of my teaching and so forth. And I'm glad that he mentioned the lives of others book that we did. Some of my main areas that I write on are Tocqueville and constitutional issues.
0: Yes, of course I have to say we did a podcast on the lives of others. It was the last thing we guys recorded together and I forgot about it. Right, right, I'm right, sorry. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. But now, let's get to Jeff Nichols and Mud. Run us through the plot, Carl, please.
2: Okay, so Jeff Nichols, has got the reputation as the independent film director, and I'd say my two other favorite films by him are The Recent Loving, and before that, Shotgun Stories. And I think it's fair to say that both of these films, while accessible, have that independent film feel. You have to be a little more patient, a little slower pace. Mud is a straight-up drama that I think anyone can sink their teeth into. You enjoy a good story particularly about contemporary americans particularly if it's contemporary southern americans you're going to enjoy the film is a coming of age story a little reminiscent of maybe huckleberry finn or probably stand by me the uh, 80s film might be a good reference point we have got two arkansas boys in the 12 to 14 age range maybe they've graduated from junior high and are on the way to high school next year it's not clear They live on a river in Arkansas, and they're very self-sufficient. They know how to get her done with motorcycles, with boats. The one child doesn't really have a father, Neckbone. He lives with his uncle Galen. And then Ellis, his father is a fisherman. So these boys know about the river, how to handle themselves. And what happens is they run into this mysterious character named Mud on an island in the Mississippi River. The reason they've gone to this island is Galen, uh, Neckbone's uh, uncle, has seen a boat in a tree. The first of a number of strange images out of the book of Genesis. An apple in a tree, a boat in a tree, that kind of thing. And this character, Mud. it turns out he's got an agenda. He's trying to re-meet up with an old flame. Her name is Juniper, played by Reese Witherspoon. Mud is played by Matthew McConaughey. And that sets everything in action.
0: Yeah, so these two kids want to go to an island on the Mississippi because one of them found a boat in a tree there and they think this might be some great thing. This yeah. is, as you suggested, what tempts them. And, of course, their first encounter on the island after the boat they see crosses in the sand. So, again, this is quite suggestive. It turns out that they are the nails in the boots of this strange man, Mud. And these two kids have to deal with their families and with love. And this one strange guide maybe is really necessary for them. The story that's called mud after this guy who is fairly close to a portrait of a natural man he doesn't seem to have any ties and he seems much more spontaneous and at the same time experienced than anybody else in the story he's also the best speaker which is maybe even stranger he has a great facility with words and as you suggested carl he also has an agenda he's not all that honest he's not really a good man he's a charming man as you put it is mysterious. One of the boys is angry with him and contemptuous, the other one is very attracted and I think both of these reactions are somehow mixing what we as an audience seen this guy played by Matthew McConaughey in an extraordinary performance. Mud tells them what anybody would want to be told, it, you guys remind me of me. Now of course that turns out to be a very dangerous thing to remind anyone of because Mud hasn't ended up well. As the story unfolds, we see the catastrophe that threatens to bring mud and everything he loves to an end. And it seems like maybe the boys are at a crossroads. They're young, they're not even 18. But this may be the defining moment in their lives. And Mm -hmm. uh, the story certainly frames things that way so that we see what love, what uh, family mean to these kids.
1: I have a question for both of you. Maybe it prompts some thoughts about the bigger themes of the film. I remember when I first watched the film, and I've seen it a few times now. What struck me was just what you mentioned, Titus, that these two boys, Ellis and Neckbone, have very different reactions to mud, and neither of them have the instinct just to go to the police and say there's some weird guy on this island, and <laughs> I'm pretty sure he shouldn't be there. Uh, and so, yeah. why do the two boys react the way they do? I certainly think Ellis's sympathy is maybe the oddest reaction. I think my 13-year-old self would have been much more nervous around this guy. And so I wondered if you two thought, are we just to chalk this up to Mudd's charm and facility with language, that he convinces these kids, manipulates them, or why does Alice in particular, why do you think he's more sympathetic to Mudd than his friend?
2: Well, Mud says, I need a little help. He's clearly very hungry. He's not making it out there. So the return to the island of mud is they're returning to bring him food. So this seems to be just a charitable impulse on Alice's part. The other thing I think to keep in mind for both of the boys is they want that boat. Later on, there's an explicit deal with mud for the boat. But I think all along, that's the motive. And that's... Right.
0: Yeah, that's a big deal, and trading food for a boat is pretty good because you see how it gets done, when it gets done. (sighs) Teenagers could not have done that without a real man to do real work there, including fairly dangerous stuff that's really exciting to see on screen.
1: You mean they couldn't have gotten the boat down from the tree? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So he's providential in that sense. They go there looking for a boat and they find the guy to get it for them too. But there's something else about the boy's initial reactions to mud. They see the man after they see the crosses in the sand and he tells them his name, mud, which is a double entendre. Mud on the one hand is dirt, but on the other hand is the clay out of which man was made, into right. which life was breathed. That's who mud is. But Neckbone, who is the guy who later, of the two kids, wants the gun. Mud also has a gun, which makes him even more real as an adult man. He's a dangerous creature. He later wants the gun, and his original reaction is to call him a bum. And here we get one of Mud's great disquisitions on human nature. He says he's not a bum. He may be a hobo, but there's nothing dishonorable with being a hobo. It just means you're free. He's not sponging off anybody. He's not in debt to anybody. He's in no way a parasite. He's free. So that's a big deal about what it means to have nothing, except, of course, that gun. The other kid, Ellis, our protagonist, later decides to help Mud because Mud is a lover. He is the only man in the story who is willing to take real risks for the sake of love and jeopardize himself to protect somebody else because of love. His initial reaction is not aggressive like with his friend Neckbone. The one of the boys that is angrier is also just better with his hands. He made a dirt bike from parts by himself, Neckbone did. Ellis isn't that good with his hands, but he's not that angry either. He's more of a lover than a fighter, and he responds to Mud's beauty more and immediately. Both of these kids respond to different parts of Mud. As for the other thing, it's not at all surprising why these kids don't talk to cops. They're self-reliant, but they're also very suspicious of other people. In a sense, it's easier not to be suspicious of Mud because he's just a nobody. You could see why these people right. have problems with authority.
2: Yeah, Ellis already is framed. You might say against having great sympathy for law and order because the river authority is this constant threat for his father's livelihood. They have a houseboat on the river; that's where they fish from. But it turns out there's some legal angle that the the river authority has is continually keeping it in threat. So. Ellis's father's name is Senior, interesting name. I don't know the mother's name. Mary Lee. She and Senior are having marital problems. And what turns out is that once she leaves the property or does a divorce or separation, the River Authority can just take that house apart. And Ellis hates that idea. He hates the idea of not being what his father constantly preaches, which is self-reliant, having a livelihood as a man. He says explicitly, I don't want to live like a townie. That's the kids that are in town that are more like the rest of us with wage type jobs and so forth. He identifies with his father's belief in self-made work. And in some way, I think those problems, the fact that his way of life is under threat, makes him a little more open to mud. Neckbone seems the kid who has the more typical reaction most of us would have. This guy's scary, he looks like bad news. Either stay away from him or report him to the authorities. Yeah, that makes
0: sense. Yeah, Ellis's family and whole life, as you say, is falling apart and he's looking for something better. And right. in that sense, again, you see how Mud responds to this. Mud is an example of what Ellis might realistically become. He looks like he's going to grow up as handsome as mother, So he is as self-reliant and free moving about. And he doesn't have ties to anything if his family falls apart. So this is a real possibility for him. And you can see why he's interested in making it a good possibility. From the get-go, Ellis is mm-hmm. invested in believing that Mud is a good man. And that he deserves help.
2: Right. I think part of the identification with Mud is... Again, this is a coming-of-age story, but it's really an emphasis on coming-of-age into manhood. Manliness is a big theme here, and mud is a, clearly, for Ellis at least, a model of manhood. What he gets from his father, Senior, is a powerful example his father's work. But Senior, his father, is very closed off. That's part of the problem with his marriage. But he's also, the way he handles Ellis, it's very much in terms of rules. We've got to get this done, you've got to be here on time. There doesn't seem to be the openness to love and problems in life that clearly you get with Mud. We talked about the fact that he goes and gives Mud food, but probably the most important breakthrough scene, his connection with Mud, is he goes to the island alone at night, and it's precisely when he's learned that his family is imperiled by a possible divorce, and so there's this emotional reaching out to Mud as an example of manhood and as we're going to talk about more as an example of someone who's serious about love.
1: Yeah, and that brings up the plot point. Ellis has a little crush on a girl that he sees at the local hamburger ice cream shop, May Pearl. And you see him taking a risk for the sake of this girl that he wants. You know, he's much more forward than I think Neckbone is, which is interesting. And so I think it's worth talking about his behavior with May Pearl, too. Initially, it seems quite affecting, and you admire his gumption in uh, going to talk to her. But then it takes an ugly turn later in the film when he sees May Pearl in a car, and he goes up to the car and punches the driver. So you see him liking the fact that Mud takes a risk for Juniper, and it's almost like he's, I don't know, maybe imitating is too strong a word, but you mm. see him try behavior that he thinks is admirable with this girl May Pearl, who's clearly a couple years older than he is, too.
0: Yeah, she's a high school girl and she's with her friends when he first sees her and some guy is teasing her in an unpleasant way and he goes and cold cocks that guy, just lays him down. This is a world where beauty and love are very much in danger and pretty rare. Yeah. Ellis loves his parents in some way and in some way he sees that they love him but as Carl pointed out, these people don't tell each other that they love each other or treat each other in a friendly way what Ellis is in his father is a version of manliness that's essentially bitter and defeated yeah it's about resentment of the world and that's the last show of independence life can break you down but you can still be resentful about it what the father teaches the son is that life is work and so somebody who loves somebody else like the father loves the son has to work him hard you have to learn about pain and struggle early just for the sake of pain and struggle forever there's no payoff in that vision. His father is, in that sense, a massive failure. Gives the boy no future except to do what his father did before, both of them alone, apparently, and pretty miserable. It's not a surprise that the boy is looking for some version of his manly, youthful anger that has a chance of working out.
1: Right. I think it's it prefer- a little paradoxical that he likes the river so much.
0: Cause
1: Why Well, just because the river, it's drudgery that's the future that he's resigned to, I guess he sees the river as adventure and possibility in a way, but the river doesn't offer his father much more than a life of routine drudgery. And so it's paradoxical that he's so attached to it.
0: Well, what the kid is lured to the island by is the prospect of getting a big boat. Now, that's an alternative to a houseboat and the little fishing stuff he does. It means getting away. And you rarely see the kid in town. And he's looking at other people sometimes. But he's a stranger to them. Getting away is all he's got to look forward to.
2: Well, I think one thing we should stress is that Senior has a vision for an Arkansas River way of life that could be compelling. I mean, it would be a simple life. You'd have to be content with fishing and not getting much for it. But you could at least conceive of it working. The problem is that It's socioeconomically not working. This town is pretty depressed. It's clear that Senior is only really scraping by, and the river authority is a constant threat. What's more, he's not stepping forward as a man, you might say, in love and in the friendship aspect of marriage. he's sort of shut his wife out. So the bitterness comes because things aren't working out for him. Some of that's society's fault. Some of that's his own fault. And his bitterness takes a particular turn, it's worth mentioning, which is a fatalistic bitterness towards society. All right, we could see a conservative version of this if we wanted to. But it also has this ugly, misogynistic side, which is more fatalistic than ugly. He basically says, women are tough. He also at some point says, because Ellis asks Mudd about this, that you can't trust love. So, Senior has a vision of life working out for independent Americans, but the modern world plus women mess it up.
1: Yeah, And you don't really see much interaction between Senior and Ellis' mom, Mary Lee, until the penultimate scene when there's an attack on the houseboat. You see them then, but... um...
0: Well, they also have a couple of fights before. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that is where the mother tells Senior, the father of the family, that he has always been a failure, that he has never been able to cut. Oh, okay. And we learn in the movie that the reason the houseboat is going to be torn down by the authorities Mm -hmm. is that it's in her name because she inherited it from her father. So Senior's vision of self-sufficiency isn't all that self-sufficient. It's within a family where you can inherit things. And this is why it's so important that, on the one hand, he's failed to secure the family. On the other hand, he's failing to leave something to his son, like his wife's father left to her a houseboat. And yeah, at least for Ellis, this way of life is over. And he's looking at the ugly mess it's left. At some point, the kids have to steal parts so that they can fix Mud's boat. And they're willing to turn thief, which they hadn't really done before. And it's not that they don't know that it's wrong, but they don't really see a way around it. And Senior slaps the kid around and shames him for it. This is all that's left for Senior, to know that other people have property and you don't, and you refrain from any crime. That is your only pride. There's nothing really there for any future. And he's the first prominent example we have of a father. There's something to be said for his harshness. It does make the boy pretty strong. And there's something to be said for his negligence, too. It does make the boy pretty free. Self-reliant. One assumes teaching the kid a job and habits of regularity and discipline and reliability. Also, giving the boy a sense that he can do all these things. He can learn stuff and do stuff for himself is worth a lot. These boys are not brittle or damaged. Right. Maybe Jeff
1: Nichols is endorsing moderately negligent fatherhood.
0: On hopes! (laughs) Clearly these are not fathers who'd show up at every school game or play or whatever. You could say that the defense of freedom is very qualified here, including negligence, because these people don't really have much better choices.
1: Mm -hmm. That's true. Especially the point about psychological brittleness. So I there are certain
0: advantages to this model of fatherhood, but it seems such a failure because it neither succeeds on its own terms in that real family, nor does it offer a way forward for the next generation. Mm-hmm. Right, because it
2: can't handle Eros. It can't handle women. Yep. A senior has no good advice to give Ellis about his first attempt at dating, and that's where Mud steps in. We should say it's unclear who his parents are. He has an adoptive father, Tom.
0: Played um, by the late, great Sam Shepard.
2: Yeah, and Tom is someone who is highly educated. He went to Yale, was involved in Marines. There's rumors that he was involved with the CIA or whatever. But he is the foster father for Mudd. we learn. So Mud comes out of the woods, is adopted by Tom. And the big event in Mudd's life is he gets bit by a snake. And in the process of being rescued from this poisonous cottonmouth snake, he meets Juniper. Who becomes the love of his life. And this happened really around the same age as Ellison Neckbone. And Mud's life becomes sort of this dedication to Juniper. And that's actually a problem because Juniper proves to be unreliable. Fine performance by Reese Witherspoon. She loves Mud, he loves her, but there's something about her she ultimately cannot be faithful. Mud is on the island. Reese Witherspoon, Juniper, is hiding out in the hotel. They're going to connect at some point. I guess they're going to go off in the boat. And she has a chance, thanks to the work of Ellison Neckbone, to make this happen, to connect with Mud. But she doesn't go. In fact, she goes to a bar and starts flirting with another man. So this actually would maybe vindicate what Senior says. Well, modern women mess you up, right? You can't rely upon them but what's amazing about mud he actually ultimately has a forgiving reaction to this betrayal by juniper but most of the film were caught up in this story of will mud and juniper reunite will they escape the people who are tailing mud trying to kill him because he actually is a murderer he killed a man who beat juniper There's maybe that not-so-good example of mud to Alice. The way you're a lover is you attack, with no questions asked, the men who might be competition or harmful to them.
1: Yeah, that is what I think is both confusing, but I guess makes the film complicated and interesting, is that no one's vision is really affirmed, precisely because of what you said, Carl, that Juniper turns out to be unreliable. So Mudd's behavior in terms of risking his life for this woman turns out to be based on complete misunderstanding of who she is or not being willing to face facts. And then in a similar way, Ellis seemed to convince himself of May Pearl's feelings towards him that turned out to be completely divorced from reality. It's obvious to the audience that May Pearl is older and sure was being nice to him but was not ready to commit, whereas in right. Ellis' head they were dating, <laughs> right? Yeah. They say they were boyfriend, girlfriend. So it makes this parallel very interesting. And then if both of those things are true, then it leads you to wonder, well, maybe Senior has a point <laughs> which <laughs> is a depressing conclusion to come
2: to Yeah. I would just say with Mae Pearl and Ellis, you're right. It's a young boy's confusion about dating and all the typical missteps that happen in teenage romance. But with June Pearl, it's more like uh, these people were destined for one another. This is a long-standing, on-and-off couple. She's there when his life is saved. And you get the sense that she was almost in love enough or reliable enough to make it work, but just not enough ultimately one of the most powerful scenes in this film where we see her recognizing that she's not going to stick with mud and that mud's made a final rejection of her just incredible scenes where she realizes that and also she gets this glimpse of mud where he does this parting wave and it's a wave of love and forgiveness really and this alone makes the movie worth it it's a very moving scene yeah so i think the thing with juniper She's ultimately unreliable, Mudd should have realized this much earlier in his life, but it's a big love of his life and it fails.
0: I think Flag is right about this, they're way more connected than it seems. The relationship between Senior and Ellis is like the fatherhood you see with Tom Blankenship and Mud himself. They have a lot in common as fathers and sons respectively. And Tom also first refuses to help Mud because he's still running after Juniper. And also tells Ellis women are the thing that destroys men. Mud also started this love affair when he was a boy one thing he has in common with Ellis, who is also experiencing first love. And you get to see indeed how violent he can be about it and how naive. But I think that's part of the deep teaching of the movie, that for young men who are lovers, this combination of aggression and naivete is constitutional. The desperate desire to make oneself worthy, and at the same time to be sure that if one has good intentions, one will be loved back, is the way he deals with vulnerability. And from the point of view of love, how could a kid with such a father and mother go through first love and the disappointments that are inevitable and come out more or less whole, right? Mm-hmm. He needed somebody else. Every illusion in the story turns out to have some core of truth to it and some uh, important psychological advantage and teaching to Like the boys learn from their fathers to be sturdy, which turns out to save their lives. So also Ellis learns from Mud about loving women even if things go miserable, and this turns out to help him lead a life in the future. Mud himself starts from disillusion about who Juniper is, but her criticism of him also rings true. She tells Ellis that Mud is not exactly who you think he is. He is not exactly what we ourselves have seen. He's not reliable either.
2: it's not just that he
0: has no plan about how to do these things but like she's a creature of her passions he's a creature of his passions right up and murder a guy now i'm not saying the guy didn't deserve it but it's still a very serious thing to do and uh, that's who mud is in a sense both mud and juniper grow up just now and partly with the help of these children when they realize that they've involved children in something they should never have done yeah And only now do they become adults and learn to live with the fact that a beautiful thing that they've chased for so long is just not true.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not going to work. Maybe one of the messages of the film is that there's a strange way in which self-command and self-knowledge have to go together. And so you could say that Senior is self-command without self-knowledge, deluded about who he is and that important plot detail about him not being the owner of the boat. Yes. Um, Mud is pretty honest about who he is, but his self-command is limited too, so putting those two things together in one personality is difficult. It's almost like for Eros to work, you need both self-command and self-knowledge. Mudd wants to be almost purely self-sacrificing, but that instinct, let loose without any self-command, is problematic for all sorts of reasons.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Mud learns that he needs these boys to do work for him. He also learns that there are consequences to his actions, and he has brought these children under threat of death because he never thought things through. Mm. Put that problem in terms of fathers and sons. The problem with the father seems to be that they would never start anything. The fathers come through to help the children, after all, but they wouldn't have started on the path to doing the things that the children do need to do to learn about love and to grow up, to become adults when Tom, the sniper, is asked for help for his adopted son, Mud, he doesn't want to help. And this turns out to have bad consequences. Right. Ellis's parents, who are so caught up in their own problem that they're irresponsible about the boy himself, they also wouldn't have helped him start dating or anything else. Just like Neckbone, Ellis's friend, he has an uncle who steps in to father him, but that guy can offer nothing. He says, if you want to talk to me, you can talk, as though anybody has ever done that in the history of the world Mm -hmm. all the advice he can give to ellis is if you're heartbroken go and have sex some promiscuity will clear your head and there's a teaching involved there that it might feel like the world and eternity are caught up in your love but it doesn't matter actually that's not gonna help anybody with anything
2: yeah so that's galen the uncle who also lives on the river what he does is he dives and scavenges things. He finds some pearls from time to time. So he's almost a lower version of Senior. He's a very fascinating character. He's a rural character, but he's really into punk rock and playing in these little punkety rock bands. Takes responsibility for neck bone, but not much. He lives in a trailer, and he's a happy face temptation to misogyny, whereas Senior's this more grim, bitter one. You might look at the villain characters who beat women as the extreme evil virgin misogyny. The way you deal with women is you beat them. Well, Galen's way of dealing with women is you don't expect much from them. You just seduce them, have sex with them, that's that. He has this interpretation of the Beach Boys song, Help Me Rhonda, where... uh, (laughs) <laughs> Where he basically says the whole point of this song is when when one woman gets you down, you know, love makes you feel sad. Then you get back on your game by getting another woman in the sack. Kind of a limited interpretation of the song, for one thing.
1: That's not a plausible interpretation. (laughs)
2: Well, I guess it's plausible, (laughs) sure. But it just shows that for him, women are just boosts your self-confidence. And it's probably not emphasized enough, but we briefly see that he has one of these improve your seduction technique self-help. <laughs> so he's tied into this thing we've seen a little bit in the last decade these men's groups which have a very cynical view of modern dating and sexual relations, and one response to that is the improve your seduction technique.
1: Uh, I feel, I feel bad know. for Rhonda in a way. I've never felt bad for Rhonda before. Now I feel bad for <laughs> Wilson Black, Well, you're, it, yeah, Carl, ahead. you're
0: right about this. Galen, that's what he gives his nephew to read how to be a more confident seducer. And that's what Neckbone, therefore, tells Ellis as well. This is how things work. Neckbone isn't as interested in girls yet, but he's also more gullible about this because he's never had to face for himself how humiliating it is to be told that love is a matter of batting averages. Some you hit and some you miss. What are you going to do? But that's what Galen is all about, and he seems fairly satisfied with it. But of course, this thing doesn't last. You're not that young and that handsome forever, and right. things aren't without consequences forever. You're right that Galen is a newer, more high-tech, but less dignified version of the self-reliant man of the river, because he has to scavenge the bottom. He's right. proud he found a fully functional ceiling fan <laughs> on one of his dives, and there you go. You know, You never know what you're going to find. There are good things where people don't expect them. Now, of course, that's something to frown at there, but I think it's also part of the deep teaching of the movie that there are good things to find in places where you don't expect. For example, this little town on the Mississippi in Arkansas. These people learn important things about how to be a human being in circumstances that are pretty frightful. Whenever you see rides through town, it seems like the only growth industry is junkyards. The... But even so, these kids know how to make stuff out of junk that's real and works. That's, again, admirable. Maybe
1: one plot detail we haven't talked about is when Ellis falls in the pit of water moccasins. Mud does not hesitate to take him right away and get him off the river, finds the bike, takes him to the hospital. And you might wonder, from what we know about Mud, whether he would do that or not. It's not self-evident that that would be his first reaction after all, he knows that at that point in the movie that these assassins are after him and that his life is under threat, yet he doesn't hesitate, I don't think, for one
0: Yeah, for you one see moment. him jump in there among the snakes. Yeah. He's risking his life for what seems right. That part about his character is real and doesn't seem to be conditional in any way. It's also unique in the story, and it has this of importance because this happens after Ellis finally loses faith in Mud. Yeah. And it's because Mud and Juniper are no better than anybody else. They say they love each other, but they abandon each other. Mm-hmm. That's the big deal there with all these kids. What are they going to learn about love when disappointment comes? Will they learn to hold themselves in contempt for being weak enough to love women? Will they learn to hate women because they seem stronger and are able to break a man without even trying? This boy, in this moment of great anger, he fights with mud and he runs away and he falls and he might die, bitten by snakes. This is just a great biblical image that he's among the snakes there dying.
2: There's already been discussion of the snakes. We've learned that Due to the dynamics of anti-vimin, if mud is bit again, he's probably going to die. So his rushing into that creek to pull Ellis out is a spontaneous act of extreme bravery. It's echoed, though, in the fact that he throws himself into a snake pit almost more dangerous when he goes to have a last word with Ellis. He doesn't need to do this. But I think what we see at the end of the film is that he's given up on the dream of Juniper and... That confrontation with Ellis, when Ellis says, you used us, and you don't believe in love, really. From that point forward, his new purpose, or at least one purpose besides escaping America through the boat, is to be his father figure to Alice. It's another beautiful scene with Mud's mercy on display when he sneaks into Ellis' bedroom at night. That's where, even after what Juniper has done, he says to him, look, your father's not correct about this idea that love never works. He says, if you find a good girl, you're going to be fine. So despite what's happened to him, he still is a believer in love, and he can provide a corrective to some of the bad lessons that Ellis has gotten. It's a new purpose for Mud that makes him a much more interesting and admirable character
1: yeah that's a good reminder i would kind of forgotten the interplay between these two plot elements but i think you're right that it's really crucial that when he goes to the houseboat he knows that this juniper thing is is over with and i think you're right to point out that now he has this new purpose he does tell ellis that he's wrong
0: about it even given his very recent experience with juniper yeah and that is also the moment when he tells the boy i'm not a good man yeah. He understands at some level that the things he has done and been through have done something to him. And running away is maybe the only thing he's got left. He runs away with his adoptive father and it seems like maybe they could make it. Maybe they could prop each other up in some way. The mm-hmm. old man seems self-sufficient, but there's nothing in his life and in his heart there's only bitterness. Yeah. And mud has lost the thing he's been chasing after for so many years as well. But it's not bitter. And that turns out to be a very rare thing. Mm -hmm. Mud is in that sense in between the old men who think that women are the devil and people like Galen, and if he convinces him, his nephew, Neckbone, who think that women aren't really anything. Mm -hmm. You don't have to Mm -hmm. be afraid of them because they don't matter. Right. The truth about seduction is be confident because there's no risk. You'd have to believe that women are of great importance to be afraid of them. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I do remember in one of the blog posts that Peter Lawler had written on the film that he pointed out that one of the last scenes is important and I dismissed it as a throwaway scene, but that you see um, Ellis has, has moved into a fancy little apartment complex in town. Ellis, I think, is in the parking lot of the complex and he sees a bunch of girls getting out of a car and at least from what I remember Peter wrote about it is that this is a subtle message that maybe town isn't that bad. The apartment complex is pretty nice. It's clean, and your mom is, is an admirable woman in lots of ways, and so maybe the future away from the river is pretty bright. Yeah,
0: it's yeah so
1: yes. Intense.
2: There's even a suggestion that his parents will reconcile. They seem to come together once his life is in peril, but it seems possible that their separation will be temporary.
1: Oh, okay.
0: He does have a moment with his father who finally tells him what the father should tell him to be kind and helpful to the mother and that they have loyalty between them. It's unbroken. But, you know, the old man is not going to walk away from the river. It's just that the boy has a future with his mother and there are these pretty girls. And I do think that that's way more important than it seems. The whole story is about what life is like outside of the law. These are people who don't talk to cops in a place where the cops can be bought and sold, you're told, in the interest of private murder. Now, that murder is also the big use of religion in the story. This evil man who comes to plot murder and will do whatever it takes to get it, he swears his men to take blood to murder. In the name of God, it's the only prayer there is in the story. Oh, that's
1: right. And when they're in the hotel room, is that
0: right? It's a pretty shocking scene. It's a question about what is left of being human outside of the law when a regular public way of life is just not to be taken for granted, just not working for people. Then they have to fall back on other resources. And it seems if the story is leading up to that conclusion, it's about teaching men how to live with women.
2: It's also interesting, the thing about religion, because you're clearly the father who is trying to wreak vengeance upon Mud because Mud killed one of his sons, he's really presented as an almost satanic figure. But he's an all-American figure. He owns a chain of restaurants down in Texas. And when he gets these mercenaries, these tired old men together, he leads them in a huddle for prayer. And so on one hand, religion is not presented very positive. It's something that's used to manipulate people One of the things you notice in the town is when they drive by the burger shop, there's a sign that says, God bless America. It doesn't look like God is blessing this town very much. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But that leads us to the fact that this film has an awful lot of biblical references. Mud is a figure of grace and forgiveness ultimately there's also just a lot of strange things i don't know what you guys make of this i mean they're on an island mud has a shirt that supposedly protects them from snakes because it's got wolf wolf's bane in it so there's superstitious stuff you mentioned the seven league boots the crosses in the boots and there's some other things including the fact that we're not entirely sure about the ending If you watch carefully, there's a brief scene where Galen is looking up from the bottom floor. This is after the big shootout, and we don't know yet what's happened to Mud, and we see a body that looks an awful lot like Mud with a bullet wound in it floating above him. That would suggest that the ending is that Mud dies. Then, of course, we also have another scene where we see Mud emerging from this boat with a bullet wound, with Tom, his adoptive father, and they're headed from corrupt America, right? So, and that's just a few of the biblical allusions that are going on in this film. What did you guys make of that?
1: I don't know what to make of that scene when the body is floating the final scene if it was just mud alone in some more ambiguous environment then it would be plausible to me that nichols was trying to communicate this is heaven or this is after he dies or something strange But tom is in the boat and i think he says
0: something yeah it's a realistic ending, but I do buy the illusion that the river has finally run to sea. Finally, mud will be freed. There is a suggestion there of heaven, of the afterlife, of deliverance. They think that it's a big deal throughout the movie what it might mean for life to be providential. As you pointed out, Carl, this city, DeWitt, Arkansas, it's a place of suffering and misery. These people are not happy. God has not blessed them in any obvious way. But you do see how people can learn how to be human beings in a way that makes life good. These people are not asked primarily to resign themselves to a miserable fate. The question is whether they can see any way to live a good life and the number of providential events align partly their own choices, not just things given to them. So it seems like the primary sense in which life is not simply providential is that it's not certain and it's not obvious and you have to work hard. And yeah. Mudd also says that there are powerful forces in this world. There's good and evil and the best of luck and the worst of luck. Providence is hard to figure out. It's hard to tell the difference between accidents and providence. And again, this is about what it means to live life without the restraints and the order imposed by a society.
2: Yeah, but that would fit with one possible reading I have of the last few scenes. I mean, I agree with Flagg that the scene on the boat is extremely realistic. It's not gauzy or hazy. But I think Nichols has set it up in a way so that we get a sense of what Ellis has to go through in terms of what he believes about Mud's fate. All he really sees is that Mud is shot diving into the water. They don't find his body. And so there's a discussion between Ellis and Neckbone. I hope he made it, but Ellis will never really know. So in a way that those scenes where we see his body on one hand, he's dead, he's trash in the river, and on the other hand, we see him alive with his adopted father are the two options for belief for Ellis. And I think that works with your idea of of thinking about Providence. And obviously, I think that the film weighs more heavily on the faith side that he comes through. A resurrection, you might say, out of his death in the river, practically speaking, it would be something like his father nursing him back to health, And that connects with earlier things where we talked about the fact that his name Mud seems to point back to Adam and things of that sort.
1: Yeah, it's certainly providential that without Tom, there's no way that Mud survives. True. Even Ellis is probably shot, I would say. Oh, yeah. You have Tom living across the way, who happens to have been a sniper, who happens to see what's going on. Yeah. So,
2: yeah. But he steps into his fatherhood role. So it's a similar affirmation of that fatherhood role, even when it's maybe not your biological one.
0: Yeah. On the one hand, this is a matter of the character of poetry and storytelling. That All the accidents are planned in a story. Right. Jeff Nichols, who wrote and directed, as with his other movies, doesn't want to tie things up too neatly because it would not be plausible to have so much success. A story that's perfect is somehow implausible to audiences that are too aware of how much bad luck and bad things play into our lives. And on the other hand, Providence is not real if it's a poetic artifact. If you line up events. And so it's just really, really difficult to depict mystery without counterfeiting it. Mm-hmm. But I do agree, this kid, Ellis, has to ask himself what to make of what he's been through. And whether he should be looking at life as somewhat providential, if mysteriously, or on the other hand, give it up. And I think that the last scenes with Ellis show, both with Negbone and with his father and with his mother, that this kid's not given up, that he's fairly Tom Sawyer character. American manliness, he thinks, might work for him. He's pretty pleased with the way things are going. He's not running from place to place searching for something to give his like meaning like he did with Maud and the girl and everything that happened in the story.
2: Yeah. There's still an element of tragedy, the river way of life, as hard as it is, is lost. It's true, seeing that the apartment is, well, life will go on and there's going to be good things. And it's not so bad being a townie. You can still fall in love. But Nichols is making us feel a little bad about what happens to the boat and this old way of life.
0: Yes, of course. And you wonder what source for these virtues that add up to manliness is going to be found in very different circumstances. Who knows? There is a lot that's being lost here. Audiences have to find adventure stories plausible and so the stories need a setting, but also they need an audience that responds to these things. If you don't see what's extraordinary about teenagers who have to deal with love and death, I'm not sure how that could be fixed. But if you do it seems you need some setting
2: Yeah. One other thing I'll mention here is just going forward to Nichols' more recent film Loving, which is about the famous Loving versus Virginia.
0: The greatest name in Scottish history.
2: Supreme Court, yeah, yeah. Case that just captured everything in its very name. That film is beautiful, wonderful. It's not the typical civil rights drama that you expect. And one of the things Nichols does is he portrays the working class dignity of this quiet man, Mr. Loving. And so again, this is why I would stress that for Nichols, this loss of rural, more working class independence, it's got to have some element of tragedy to it. Because these people, at least at the end of the film, it doesn't look like they're going to be able to become that dignified working class person. Maybe that's reading too much into it. No,
0: I think that's perfectly true. And of course, in loving itself, trying to get out of a crowded city where you're afraid your kids are going to get run down by a car in the street is a big deal. And the love for the countryside and what it means to be free, in some sense means being alone or secluded. That's a big deal. And it seems to be part of what the country can contribute, not just Arkansas, not just Virginia. This is also what people think about freedom in the West. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of room. That's an important thing simply because of what it does to human beings. You're not going to be bossed around. That's pretty good. How many people yeah. love their jobs that much? <laughs>
2: yeah. The thing about loving is that Virginia is portrayed so beautifully in mud. It's, Arkansas is more great. It's not obviously...
0: And in shotgun <laughs> stories, Arkansas, yeah, again, it's an ugly place of tragedy. Some part of that seems very, very realistic. There's more violence people are more aware of their passions and there is less self-deception but with less self-deception the civil peace falls apart
1: Mm -hmm. yeah
0: these are very interesting very thoughtful stories for that reason so there are very good reasons for filmmakers to get out of a set and to get out of the abstract urban space where things happen that aren't real and the people aren't real either
2: (laughs) yes you don't see very many uh, comic book movies set in rural <laughs> settings,
0: right? <laughs> I don't know. Good point. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you for joining me. This is a movie we all love, and our friend Peter Lawler also thought well of it. And it's great to have this in a conversation we can share as a podcast. Maybe we should talk about loving for a next conversation. I I haven't seen it. That. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet,
1: but I'll put it on my list
0: you must flag we recommend it i i I loved it my friends did and so conform flag conform all right (laughs) that's the listen here (laughs) yeah
2: okay thank you to so much
0: and we'll talk again sometime soon sounds good this is the end of the american cinema foundation movie podcast folks please subscribe to our podcast on itunes or soundcloud and give us a rating and a review please help us spread the word take care